23-1508 Eastern Missouri, Cardinal Building Materials versus Amerisure Insurance Company. Mr. Villamelo. Judge. Good morning. The trial court below uh, held that uh, because of Amer Cardinal Building Materials' failure to cooperate in establishing to a reasonable certainty the amount of damages, summary judgment was entitled, or uh, Amerisher was entitled to summary judgment. This was an argument advanced by Amerisher below, but it is a misunderstanding of the law uh, and the burden that the summary judgment movement has. The summary judgment movement here, Amerisher, has to argue their burden is to show, raise all of their issues in their summary judgment motion, and argue uh, that there is no evidence to support any of the claims. Amerishore here provided a series of, uh, a number of um, factual statements, uh, but at the end of the day, the statements don't show an entitlement to summary judgment. So the issues here are, uh, initially, that whether Amerishore breached its contract with ins its insured by not um, paying all the damages, i.e., did it breach the agreement? And what the evidence shows here, uh, the the uh, summary judgment movement has to show that there is no evidence to support any of the claims that are raised by the plaintiff. There are claims for a whole series of different types of damages. Um, Profit and overhead, inventory. Uh, I, th I thought the district court negated all that by deciding the failure to cooperate question. It's a little confusing in the order, Judge, but uh, I think certainly all of these issues are relevant on appeal. But the, the trial court kind well, of... They, they, they may be, I agree with you, they may become if you win the failure to cooperate question. Sure. And so failure to cooperate with the so trial maybe, maybe you ought to go there first. Happy to do that. So <coughs> starting with the failure to cooperate issue, failure to cooperate generally is a question of fact. This is an affirmative defense. The movement, the defendant has a burden to show, uh, establish all of the elements, no genuine disputed facts as to all of the elements. Well, there's two elements at issue here. One is did the insured materially breach the agreement by failing to cooperate? And here I would, the, the record does not show any evidence of a failure to cooperate. To the extent that at best it shows disputed evidence on whether they cooperated or not, but they sat for an EUO, examination under oath before. Well, how about failure to come up with a some certain for the claim and the 500-page document dump that... <laughs> Well, so that's, uh, I guess that's an interesting question. What What is cooperation? Is it that I need to provide all of the documents in exactly the form and the manner that you want? And I think that, that is, that's a stretch because then any insurance company can say, well, we didn't want it in this manner. So that means you didn't cooperate. But the question is, and all of the cases deal with this when it comes to cooperation, is really we're dealing with a, a issue of uh, a material breach, which is generally a question of fact. The cases that find a material breach in this regard are cases where an insured fails to show up to an EUO, an, an insured refuses to provide any documents, uh, an insured 
one case, I believe, doesn't show up for trial. Well, that's easy. Those are easy cases. Here, documents were provided. EUO, they sat for an EUO. Has there been a case like this in Missouri appellate law that involved the organization of information submitted to an insurer or the quantity of information submitted to an insurer? There has not been. And the closest that I've been able to find, all of the cases in Missouri, out of Missouri appellate courts that deal with this, have those examples of not showing up to an EUO, refusing to provide documents generally. And I want to make a point about the factual evidence, the evidence in this record. By July of 2020, or 2012, I'm forgetting the date, AmeriShore's correspondence says, we have all of the documents we need except for from these two companies that they are Coffee Design and McKinsey Renovation. And the argument, of course, in the trial court is, well, you didn't provide those documents to us. But the reality is, they didn't have the documents to provide. You cannot provide what you don't have. And while my clients didn't have the documents to provide, they still provided a record release. And so before this lawsuit is filed, the last communication from AmeriShore says, we're investigating the claim and we're still waiting for documents from these two companies, not from Cardinal Building Materials. It's from these two companies. And that request was only made with the assistance of my clients providing an authorization. And so you asked about Missouri appellate cases. And the closest case that I've been able to find is a North Dakota Supreme Court case dealing with cooperation. And while that, of course, is not binding in Missouri, the case law is the same. And I think that it has a good statement of the law, which is that dealing specifically with this issue. Well, just because you didn't bend over backwards to provide everything that you want, everything that the insurance company wants, at best that makes a question of fact. So because I don't provide it to you in the exact manner that you want me to provide it to you, doesn't mean it hasn't been provided. Because I don't organize it in the way that you want me to organize it, doesn't mean that it hasn't been provided. So what is the level of cooperation that results in a material breach? And I think ultimately this gets to the important part here, which is that material breach is ordinarily a question of fact. So rather than a court having a demarcation of, well, you have to provide, if the insurance company says, I want this enumerated in a certain way. Was there discussions between, is it in the record that there were discussions about the form of the submission, what's too much, what's not enough, what's appropriate, what's irrelevant? So I was not trial counsel below, but from my view of the record, there was no issue about the manner in which the documents were provided until a lawsuit was filed. So everything before the lawsuit was filed was, we're still waiting for more documents. Now, mind you, there are instances where the insurance company would send a monthly letter saying, please provide these additional documents. But there was never a refusal to provide these additional documents. So additional documents were provided. As far as I can tell, there's no argument or evidence below that it was asked to be provided in a specific manner and wasn't provided. But ultimately, I think that that is a question of fact that goes, that needs to be determined by a jury. Another issue that was never addressed before, which kills the cooperation argument, is that 
the Amerishore's argument below and the trial court accepted this argument is that if you have a material breach, it means that there is substantial prejudice. And that's not the law in Missouri. These are two separate tests. You have to show, one, a material breach, and two, you have to show that a material breach caused substantial prejudice. Nowhere in the summary judgment brief below by Amerishore's opening brief does it ever mention any manner in which it was prejudiced. It just says because we were prejudiced, or because there was a material breach, we were prejudiced. In the reply brief on appeal, or response brief rather, Amerishore tries to take the position that, well, we were prejudiced, and I believe it's raised in a footnote in maybe their reply brief below. Amerishore says, well, we did everything that we could, and we were under a, you know, we were prejudiced because we weren't able to investigate this. Well, there's no factual basis for that, at least in the statement of facts. It's simply an argument. And it's also an argument that's not even supported by the record, because the last communication before the lawsuit was filed says, we're continuing to investigate the claim, and we've got everything that we need except for these documents from McKinsey Renovation and Coffee Design, which, of course, the failure, the lack of those documents being provided is not because of my client refusing to provide them. It's because they didn't have them. So the only argument about substantial prejudice, separate and aside from material breach equals substantial prejudice, which is not the law, it's a two-part test, is that they didn't have documents that my clients couldn't provide. So they're related, but ultimately it's hard to say you didn't cooperate when you provided everything that you could, and you sat for an EUO, you provided documents, no request was refused, the only documents you didn't provide were documents that weren't in your possession or control, but you still gave us an authorization to get these documents, yet we are substantially prejudiced by your material breach. Well, what is that prejudice? But ultimately, it's hard to say that there was prejudice at all because they were able to investigate it. Amerishore was able to determine, based on the documents provided, a sum total of the claim. So on the cooperation front, there simply is not evidence in the record to establish for purposes of summary judgment that there is no evidence, which was Amerishore's burden, no evidence to show a lack of cooperation, and no evidence, sorry, I'm misspeaking here, it's an affirmative defense, so they have the burden to prove these. The evidence in the record does not show a lack of cooperation, i.e., does not show a material breach, and there's not even an argument about substantial prejudice until a reply brief below, which you cannot raise an argument for the first time on a reply brief below. So if you win on cooperation, what are we left with? So there is still the issue of material breach. Yes, that would be your claim. Yes. Have they ever refused to make payment? Some payment was made, not all of the payment that is claimed to be owed. Have they ever refused? Well, yes, because my client submitted documentation showing this is how much we are owed, and Amerishore didn't pay that. Amerishore said we're continuing to investigate. 
And then a lawsuit was filed. And then a lawsuit was filed. So, uh, and since then, I suppose uh, they could have made payment of disputed amounts, but this is an adversarial process. They don't, the insurance company doesn't have to just accept what my clients say, and my clients don't have to accept what the insurance company says. That's why we have a lawsuit, and we have fact finder in the jury who decides these issues. So to answer your question, if summary judgment is reversed, a duty to cooperate affirmative defense can still be raised. If the trial court says that it's uh, that there's evidence to support it, then it's submissible, like in the Northrop Grumman case, which is the Missouri appellate case, the uh, the trial court can say, you have this affirmative defense. There is evidence in the record to support this affirmative defense and let a jury to decide. So at the end of the day, all of undisputed evidence, um, the undisputed evidence ultimately does not show that, uh, that my clients cannot show damages, the fact of damages to a reasonable certainty, the amount of damages from which a rational estimate can be made, uh, or that it failed to cooperate. Um, and I will, there's two minutes left. Vexatious refusal is another um, kind of minor issue. I can address it now if the court would like or reserve my time um, for rebuttal. Your option. Um, I'll, I'll reserve the time for rebuttal. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Villanueva. Mr. Morrow. Thank you, Your Honors. May it please the court. Nine. Nine is the number of different valuations Cardinal Building provided for its relatively straightforward 2013 tornado loss. Nine numbers, ranging from 2.3 million to 3.7 million. Not because there was some change in circumstance, some discovery of hidden damage, some change in price, or some dispute about what repairs were necessary. This was nine different numbers based on the same 500 pages of documents. Nine different numbers provided by this particular insured. Nine different numbers that went to one crucial question that was never answered. How much did it cost to repair and put your property back to where it was before? And it's important to keep an eye on some of the key basis here. We have a policy. That, that's over the, the decade that this has been litigated, or was what period of time do those nine numbers? The nine numbers are actually so 2013 to 2016. They did a kind of piecemeal, but there was adjustment of the claim. $1.5 million was paid out. Claim was closed. 2017, we get an unsubstantiated spreadsheet for $2.3 million. And then the demands go from there. Seven of the nine numbers came prior to the suit. The expert report and the final valuation provided in the summary judgment or the supplemental briefing are the last two numbers, but seven different numbers pre-suit since 2007. Is there a trend in the numbers that they go straight up or did nope. they They go up and then they go back, and I have a, a little chart, but so, you know, you've got November 2017 spreadsheet, 2.3 million. November 19th, 2018 correspondence, 3.7. January 29th, 2019, 3.1. May 8th, 3 million. July 12th, 2019, 3 million. Different number, 3,073 as opposed to 377, a reduction in that one. EUO testimony was 3.2. The expert report was 2.6. 
and I think the final numbers were just over um, three from the supplemental briefing as well. I don't have that exact number in front of me, so I apologize. So is there any case that suggests that that failure to pin down a number as a matter of law amounts to failure to cooperate? I, I, on that exact issue, I don't think so. There are several cases that say resisting discovery, which I don't like that word using it in pre-suit, but that's, I think it's in the Crane case and then in Roller, does amount to prejudice, does amount to a breach of the cooperation clause. And I do agree that this is somewhat of a unique case, um, Your Honors, but it's not one that was not appropriate for summary judgment. Well, can you give me a case that's close? Because Mr. Vianella and at least from my looking, I think he might be right. The failure to cooperate cases are pretty cut and dry. It's failure to show up for trial. It's failure to give a statement under oath. Some of the things that are clearly required by the policy. And here, I think what we have are, you know, the 500-page document dump from which you were able to discern some numbers and so the changing target, which I can understand it would be frustrating. But fine. tell me a case that says as a matter of the law, you know, that it shouldn't go to a jury. I can determine this as a matter of the law, that that violates the failure to cooperate clause. I think generally on the appellate level, as far as just documents, Your Honor, and as far as coming up with the number, there is not an exact Missouri appellate case on point. I do think that it is still appropriate for a summary judgment on this case based on the facts as a whole and the facts before this particular court. Because in a claim process, you are sometimes asking ultimate questions. What is damaged? What's not damaged? But in this case, it is, okay, we concede there's damage. Here's $1.5 million. They come back, they say, hey, we've done repairs. We want an additional amount. And at that point, they claim nine different numbers. They never give an actual repair cost amount. And Judge Autry on the lower level in his January 10th, 2023 order, he gave them one final chance. This is after all of this, after everything. He gives them one chance to say, okay, just give me the number. Give me what it costs to fix your property and support it with invoices and canceled checks. And instead of complying with that request, the uh, Cardinal simply reshuffled the documents once more and simply gave a different number, um, a number consisting of estimates, consisting of um, items that don't appear to even be related to the storm damage. There is, at a certain, Your Honor, with regard to the record before the court, there is a clear pattern of failing to cooperate with a reasonable request for discovery from an insurance company. And I think the cases do generally go to that. And in this well, particular... Is that really true? You're, as I understand it, your client's last letter pretty much says, hey, you know, we've got a lot of all these documents. They don't express any dissatisfaction. They say we're waiting for records from two other entities, I gather, contractors. Um, now, where's the... I, I respectfully disagree with Mr. Vianello's characterization of the letter, um, considering, yes, it does mention that we're waiting on the two documents. It also specifically says, it is unclear whether or not the actual cash value replacement cost exceeds the repair costs. 
as well as what portions of the claims are possibly relating to redesign upgrade of the structure. Well, in, in anywhere in there, does it, does it identify a failure to cooperate? Uh, well, we got sued right after this letter, but um, we say that um, we're going to, we're basically, that the insurance company continues to try to obtain this information. And the letter ends with, we'll provide you an update in 45 days. It doesn't say, hey, we're ready to pay you and, we're, and we don't need anything from you. And, I'm well, sorry, go ahead. I didn't okay. mean to. I mean, it also, but it doesn't say you're not cooperating. You're not giving us the records we need. Well, Your Honor, this is the end of a road of communications. And obviously, we have 133 undisputed facts for the court that, that gives the road of how we get to this final letter. And I think that road is important because there are deadlines set, there are document requests. Again and again, you haven't shown us this, you haven't shown us this. And the fact of the matter is, the it shows the insurance company tried to go down every avenue. It didn't sit on its laurels and just say, okay. It did try to go and get these documents from other people. Um, to try to, I mean, you would think that the insured would be able to produce the documents from their own design company and their own essentially general contractor. They could not provide that. I, I can certainly understand your client's frustration. Of I, course. I get that completely. To, to prevail on a failure to cooperate affirmative defense, do you agree that you have to show substantial prejudice? I do. And what was the evidence of substantial prejudice? I think you, looking through the 133 um, uncontroverted facts, um, I think there is evidence of substantial prejudice, and there are certain benchmarks set by Northrop, set by Roller, but, uh, and Wiles, I think, is another one. But essentially, a prolonged claim investigation. You're talking about, we were following up from 2017 and continue to diligently follow up and try to get this information through suit, um, so and through you know up to the summary, up to the close of discovery. So I think the prolonged claim investigation is substantial evidence of prejudice. I think the inability it's just the passage of time, though it seems like there has to be something that would occur during the time that, well, it, that produces. It's not just the passage of time itself. I agree, and I think that the, the controverted facts show that diligent. And I don't want to mix the elements, but it shows. Uh, not just the, the, I mean, the prolonged claim investigation, it shows that we are making effort after effort to try to get to this. We are expending time, we are expending effort, and it, that is in the record. And the insured sits in the best position to provide the information. The, the, the cooperation cases make that clear. And that the court in Brawler and other cases has found prejudice where the essentially the insured is withholding that information. They sit in the best position. And this is akin to not sitting for an EUO and not um, fully responding to things. I mean, because you, you sit for an EUO, but you don't answer the ultimate question, how much did it cost? Did you really actually cooperate? And that was the ultimate question, and we continued to try to get to that ultimate question throughout this process. And um, just going back, and essentially I was going to talk about the basic facts, but obviously we're talking about, a, um, as the other counsel, we're talking about a, a replacement cost policy, replacement cost numbers. We're not talking about actual cash number. Replacement cost numbers under this policy, what it cost to put it back to where it was. So providing estimates, providing uh, speculative, providing overlapping estimates, estimates for work that has to do with the, the tornado, doesn't have to do with the tornado. 
doesn't satisfy the need of the insurance company to figure out what. Counsel, was the, was the failure to cooperate issue the only issue that the district court uh, based its decision on? I think that at the very beginning of the court's order, there is reference to other parts. I think ultimately, if you look at maybe the last page or two pages. I mean, is that what this case is about? Is the is failure to cooperate? Or is there also a, a problem perhaps with proof of the of breach of contract with the same evidence that you would offer on the failure to cooperate. Absolutely, Your Honor. Um, specifically, and the court did find that there was no evidence of actual cash value and, um, uh, and insufficient evidence of the replacement cost value. It goes to the same ultimate issue. We paid $1.5 million. The court, or eventually maybe the jury, would have to determine what is owed beyond that $1.5 million payment. Based on the evidence before this court, there is insufficient evidence for anyone to make that determination. And those nine figures go to that, because the nine figures are all in these 500 documents. I mean, you're talking about you have years of security bills, you have years of trash bills, you have um, unrelated, completely unrelated invoices relating to other work, to upgrades. You've got this, this pile on each different valuation. They point to different estimates. They point to things like a fence that was never built, things of that nature. Um, and each time they're pointing to a different combination. But in the end, all of the combinations, including the one given to the court after its January 10th order, all rely on not repair cost not actual evidence of repairs. Uh, they rely on estimates and other, um, frankly, unrelated matters. And even with that final number before the court, that was provided by the insured. I agree the insured can testify as to an ACV, but you're talking about, I guess, repair rep replacement costs, but not providing any actual evidence that the, the costs were actually incurred. And in this case, you know, we made a lot of efforts. We also had, they retained an adjuster, years of experience, plenty of gray hair and gravitas to look at this, to look at these documents. He was unable to say what was related to the storm. He was unable to say how much the insured had paid on the repairs. Um, he was unable to provide the ultimate answers to the ultimate questions here. How much is owed above and beyond the 1.5 million? So I th do think that is before the court properly as well. And I do think that based on the 133 facts, the nine different valuations, that there is, um, that, that there is no evidence that the insured has provided no valid evidence that the amount owed by the insurance company is beyond the $1.5 million already paid. And then with regard to the vexatious, um, I think we're all in agreement that if um, there was no finding of a breach, there can be no vexatious under Aziz. Um, I also think it is properly before the court. I mean, we did raise it in our initial brief. I think they, they take issue with the fact that it um, was a brief mention of it, but we did raise the issue, there, and there has been no evidence provided to this court of any sort of recalcitrant attitude um, or uh, willful uh, conduct or uh, any denial of any benefits without reasonable cause or excuse. Counsel, has there been any efforts on the part of the parties to discuss resolution of this outside of litigation? There was 
Um, a mediation through it, I mean, I guess that would be confidential. Since the appeal, there, um, there has not, Your Honor. I mean, throughout the process, it was essentially just show us an opaque. I mean, that, it's just that it's that kind of company. They, over the three years, they, they would pre present a, you know a, a estimates, things of that nature, and they would pay and they pay and they pay and they pay. And then there was a certain point where they was just like, "Hey, we got to see it. We got to see what is there beyond that 1.5 million that was already paid." So, I thank your honors. Do you have any other questions? Thank you for your time. Thank you, Mr. Morrow. Mr. Fiannello. Nine different valuations provided. That's a great closing argument at trial. We're here with summary judgment. Completely different standard. The question is, on a material breach standpoint, uh, material breach by the insurance company, <coughs> is there uh, evidence, a lack of evidence, showing the fact of damages to, uh, showing the fact of damages and can the documents make a rational estimate, or can the jury make a rational estimate of damages from, uh, from the evidence submitted? Here, there is evidence. I think there's an, one of the fundamental issues is that a number well, of issues. Without the evidence from the missing or defunct uh, contractors, how, how are those damages going to be proven at trial? Well, uh, I think the client can say this is, the insured can say this is what we paid, um, and this was to put it in a, uh, paid for repair, we did the repairs, we paid for it, and it was to put our uh, house or building in the condition that uh, it would have been in. And the evidence in the record actually shows, uh, while there's complaints here in oral argument that the insured didn't provide information about, um, you know, about repair costs, whether things were repaired. That issue wasn't actually raised below. The, the issue raised below on material breach was there's no evidence to show that Amerishore materially breached it by failing to pay the amount owed. Well, there is evidence in the record that shows uh, documentation about what was owed, uh, or certainly a question of fact about what hadn't been paid. And, um, and so ultimately, all of these arguments and, and the issues that counsel raised in response show that there are material issues of fact, which means that summary judgment is not proper. But to your question, if those documents aren't available, maybe that's an issue of proof at trial, but that's not the issue that's raised uh, in a summary judgment motion. The issue raised in summary judgment is a failure of evidence. But there is evidence. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Villanello. Thank you also, Mr. Morrow. The court appreciates both counsel's participation and argument before the court. Um, we'll continue to study the matter and render decision.